0: Cranking baseline to that today, huh? Well, it's good to see everybody. Hope we're all doing well. I got to uh, get situated up here. Well, I'll share it for a minute, okay? You guys feeling that at all? Well, I'm sorry. Honestly, uh, if I could get a harness that I could hang that down in front of me, that'd probably be the. uh, the most uh optimal may, way of dealing with things you know i appreciate the members of the fellowship here too man everybody's trying to take care of me i got jay hooking me up with water you know i, I bring a handkerchief to kind of where is it mop off with but i guess henry was figuring that that wouldn't suffice so he hooked me up with both of these once the handkerchief runs out and uh i i just need the assistant that you have henry I, i've got the i had the opportunity to kind of sit in and watch your uh, one of your surgeries and uh you had somebody mopping your brow there, if I remember correctly. <laughs> oh, come on, babe! Anyway, I appreciate you guys all coming out this morning. Obviously, we got a little bit of the uh, monsoonal thing going on, but uh, it actually the temperature dropped a little bit. I don't know if that's because we uh, actually got a little bit more rain or what the situation is. But I want to thank Norag, our brother from uh, Lebanon. It's awesome to be able to actually have a body here from the church over there, so we gives us kind of an idea as to uh, what's going on, what our special missions goes to, and really appreciate the sacrifice of men and women just like him who are in some very, very challenging situations but are able to look to Christ and through that overcome and just have an incredible impact. So we really want to thank you for coming on out this way for us today, my brother. Uh, we'd like to uh, start out in a word of prayer. There's a lot of different uh, health situations and all taking place, so if you'd bow your head with me, that would be awesome. Well, Father, I just thank you for what an incredible God that you are, uh, the way that you do take care of us, the way that you meet needs, and uh, just the fellowship that you surround us with that can get us through sometimes challenging times. We thank you for the way prayers were answered with Lane Johnson, and we know, God, that you're going to be answering prayers for us with uh, the rest of these individuals, with Scott Hachia and his current health situation. God. Uh, Thank you too for uh, having Calvin Johnson in the mix with a number of the members of our fellowship here, being able to direct them towards resources that they might not normally have. Uh, For Nathaniel Hammond and his upcoming surgery, please be there as an encouragement for him. Uh, Be with the doctors, they'll be uh, dealing with him specifically. Uh, For Cora Craig and her health challenges, and uh, we have a a couple of losses that have taken, taken place here recently. Again, just be with Anthony Sivatonich and his family Uh, It was brought to my attention yesterday that Dick G. lost his dad yesterday and that uh, Sir Doughty uh, has uh, a father who has some very, very challenging health situations right now as well. Be with all the family members. And uh, right now, God, as we continue to worship you, thank you for uh, every aspect of the service so far, the singing, the way that moves our hearts, the sharing, uh, taking time to look to your scriptures and understand what Jesus has done for us. And right now, Father, I pray that you use me in a great way uh, through the scriptures, your word, and just uh, how they can be applied to our lives in the way that you so want to have an incredible relationship with us. Father, I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I didn't want to uh, commend uh, the Tummies, Pat, obviously, for taking everything on up here to today. But I also heard that uh, yesterday that they had a uh, time with the teen parents, The time of prayer as their... Uh, Teens are headed on off to teen camp, and uh, it's kind of interesting how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, I believe they were coming out of 1 Samuel, and that's where I'm gonna be spending a little bit of time here today as well, but just really uh, in that particular passage, we've got a youth who his mother had appealed to God that she would have a child, and that that child would be dedicated to God, and how as a teen, he actually brought a message from God to, one of their priests, one of their judges uh, there in Israel. So, uh, again, appreciate you guys having the, just pulling people together and what a great focus that is. When it comes just prayer in general, amen? You know, this morning, uh message is entitled Warning Signs. Now, it looked like we had a couple people start to get up out of their seat there for a minute. Uh, i i know what sirens can do i mean there's all kinds of sirens when i was a kid growing up uh once a month on thursday mornings you know we had the air raid sirens going on and you know we'd we'd duck and tuck under the desk and you know i guess that was going to take care of us in the in case we ever got hit by a nuclear bomb um you know and there was i remember one occasion when one of those things went off not on the normal scheduled time and it you know it kind of makes you pause for a little minute and you listen and okay, what the heck's going on here but You know, we have a lot of different warning signs. There's lights, there's bells, there's buzzers, there's sirens. I mean, we've got signage on our freeways that are generally there to keep us from harm. And just thinking through some of the signs that we can get from God. Uh, This morning, as I stated, we're going to be focusing on 1 Samuel 2 in verse 12 uh, through 36. Make sure I've got this on here. There we go. And uh, you know, as you've seen too, we've had a, we've had a number of wildfires here recently in uh, California. Uh, we tend to get them locally uh, with the drought conditions we have, the Santa Ana winds. There's a lot going up in uh, Northern California and the uh, forested areas up there because of lightning strikes. So you know, this is an issue that we can have from time to time in California. And it was an interesting article I came across in USA Today that was entitled, Hesitation is a Fatal Mistake. And uh, there was a situation in particular where there was a firestorm. They, they claimed two, do- two dozen lives in Northern California. And uh, this gentleman by the name of John Smaldridge. who was one of the neighbors up in this particular community that was being threatened by the fire. And he remembers just frantically warning his neighbors about what was taking place, what was on the TV, what was on the radio, the fact that the local firemen had come through and asked these people to evacuate their homes. And he realized that there were a number of his neighbors that were still there, so he himself took it on his his own self to start knocking doors and really appealing people to get out because of what was coming their way. He told the people that he wanted to save, but they wanted to get their televisions and their computers first. He said they looked like they were packing for a trip. The ones who listened to me and left the area lived. The ones who didn't died. You know, you would think that this was the kind of warning that would get people's attention, right? Yeah. There's a fire coming. You need to act. You need to get out now. And it's amazing how in those situations, you know, we can, we can justify things. And we think that, you know, maybe we're a little bit different. Our situation is a little bit different. You know, time's on my side. It's not that big a deal. Just a few more items and we'll be out of here. You know, you know I'll, I'll keep the roof wet until the firemen get here. You know, which is amazing. The number of situations where I've read where people out hosing down their roof line, you get a number of people doing that and then the fire trucks come through and they open up their huge valves to take care of business and all of a sudden you're on a roof with nothing coming out of the hose. You're thinking that you're gonna be able to, you know, deal with this massive onslaught that's coming your way. You know, it'll never happen to me, that always happens to somebody else. And I think there's something within each of us, even though we hear the warning, We think we're going to be okay. That's not going to happen to me. You know, this is something that happens to other people. So we can be slow to respond. And it's amazing. You know, you see it on TV all the time. People that are interviewed in the aftermath of various situations. You know, well, you you never expect it to happen to you. Or, you know, this happens to other people. Not in our neighborhood. You know, our, our neighborhood's safe. He was the nicest guy. We just didn't see it coming. He was the nicest guy. You know, the thing that's interesting is, on the other hand, those that give the warning feel like, what in heaven's name is wrong with them? What's it going to take to get their attention? You know, the thing that amazes me too, which, you know, maybe some of you can relate to this, it's always so easy for me to see the warning signs in other people. I'm a little bit slow on the uptake when it comes to warning signs in my own life. You know, when it comes to my own life, I can be pretty stubborn. You know, I, I can be slow to respond. We can be slow to respond. You know, you make excuses. You know, well, I, I have a better way. I mean, come on. You know, I've been a Christian now 24 years. You, you know, you've been, you've been a disciple how long? Yeah, you know, they may, they're gonna turn to and use the same scripture on me that I would have turned to and used with them in a similar situation based on whatever it is that they may be dealing with in their lives. But we can think that we know better in these situations. You know, and I think the thing that's scary about thinking through our own personal needs and situations and those warning signs, we can be the same way with God. God tries to get our attention. And you know, it's amazing. He'll send the blinking lights you know, on that dashboard of life of ours. And he tries to wake us up so that we can act now and be saved from all kinds of pain and grief and situations later on in life where if we'd only adhered to those warnings on the front side, we wouldn't have had to contend with later. And for those of of you that are younger than me in the audience, you know, not, not, not thinking that time is on your side, you know, that you've got tomorrow or, you know, that you really don't have a semblance of what mortality is all about and that, you know what? Any one of us can die right now. Doesn't matter whether you're 12 years old or 100 years old, any of us can die right now. And with that understanding, how important it is, is it for us to have a right relationship with God? God's trying to give us attention. His warnings about sin that we're keeping secret or a habit that we're trying to hide. You know, you may think it's something that you've got a handle on and it's under control, but it's a fire that will devastate you. You know, maybe God's warning you about some of the things in your marriage that seem to you that it's not that big a deal. You know, this is okay. You know, and I, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. We've got a lot of brothers and sisters in a part of our church where, from a standpoint of discipleship, they either feel like they're at a stage in their life where they don't need it, or the individuals in their life aren't capable of giving it, giving them the help, mentoring them. You know, for those of you visiting, we talk about discipleship. A disciple is somebody that follows Jesus Christ. And within that, when you look at the walk that his guys had with him, he used situations to teach them, to mentor them, to help them understand what God was all about. So when you hear me say discipleship, your word, the, the word you may be more familiar with is mentoring, but we all need help. There are times where we all need mediation. And you know, we, we've been a church for years that has had such a minimal, almost non-existent number of divorces. When you look at the percentages of people in our congregation, they're married versus what goes on in the secular world. But we've had an inordinate amount of divorces that have taken place in this part of our church. In some instances, high-powered leaders in those groups. Some of you know the names. I don't need to get into the names here. Right now, there's multiple marriages that are in crisis because of this, this ignoring the warning signs. Maybe a spouse saying something to you. Maybe a friend saying something to you about interaction with the spouse. And maybe God saying something to you through the scriptures. But you think you know better. You think you're going to figure it out. One of my closest friends right now up there is separated from his wife. I was shocked that this is where it can go. But this is what not heeding the warning signs can do. And it doesn't matter if you're single, married, teen, whatever, God wants to take care of us. God is a loving Father that wants to guide us and keep us from harm's way. But so often human nature is such as, we feel we know better. But ultimately God is constantly trying to get our attention. The issue is, whether or not we respond to the warning signs in life that can make the difference between heartache and blessing. You know, I want you to think about this for a second. Recall a time in your life when you should have listened to a warning sign, or light, or someone who warned you, and you didn't heed the warning. Remember the outcome? I I can think of several growing up where it's only by the grace of God I, I haven't broken, I think I broke a pinky, but I haven't broken anything else more serious with some of the stupid places I've jumped from, run from, ran into, cars I've jumped out of that were, whoa, moving, being an Italian, you know, sometimes just moving your arms around can get you in trouble. <laughs> but, you know, and I think one of the biggest ones was I had a load of gravel in, my, in this 67 El Camino that I owned, 396 turbojet, Turbo 400 tranny. it was awesome. Engine, this vehicle, when you punch this thing, the front end would come up off the ground, the, the amount of torque that it was generating. And, you know, I had a load of gravel that I was delivering, I don't know why the heck I volunteered to do this, but, I remember coming up over a hill on Azusa Avenue in West Covina and there was a guy that was really slow in front of me and the bright guy that I am and I've been told about you know the way I drive I still hear that from people from time to time and uh, I decided I'm going around this guy and I punched it and the timing change just blew the engine three thousand dollars later you know kind of one of those expensive lessons but, you know, there, there, there's lessons from a spiritual standpoint that can be so much cost, more costly because they can affect our eternal destination. You know, in 1 Samuel 2, we get to see, and I, I'm gonna be going, some of it's gonna be coming out of the NIV, some of it's gonna be coming out of the message paraphrase. But after the death of Joshua, The Israelites sinned against God. They didn't heed God's warnings. They ushered in all these false gods and were chasing anything that they wanted to do aside from a relationship with God. And God ultimately handed them over to their oppressive neighbors. But out of compassion, he would raise up a judge who would deliver them from time to time. But it eventually got to the point where the judges were so out of control and corrupt, which leads us to what we're gonna be looking at here this morning. We're gonna be studying uh, out Eli. Eli was a priest for Israel for 40 years. You know, kind of like me, he was good at recognizing the warning signs from God as long as it was a matter of the application of other people. He was probably better at that than anybody else at that time that was alive, but he was unwilling to see that his own house was on fire. Even though he knew God's commands and was well aware of God's warning signs, he wasn't responding to them at all in his own life or the life of his family. We're gonna pick it up in 1 Samuel 2. Verse 12, whoops, you know, that'll be coming up here in a second. Um, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, it says, Eli's house is on fire. And that just with the disarray that's taking place, we can see this. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and his two sons, his boys were also priests. They were considered the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, and that we see here in verse 12, they had no regard, zero regard for the Lord. And you know, and it's worse than you think in that, you know, it wasn't just a matter of them, you know, you know for, for us today, it wasn't a matter of them just not coming to midweek or not coming to Sunday church, even though they were priests, but we go on to read that ultimately the, 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 the current day equivalent would be they were stealing money from the offering. You know, they were stealing sacrifices that were meant for God and eating them themselves. Can we do that today? how do we do that today? You know, holding back from God, our commitment to God in our prayer life, our commitment to God through the scriptures, our commitment to God in serving him, whether it be with our time or opportunities that we have to make a difference in foreign countries when it comes to something like special missions contribution or our weekly contribution. You know, we decide that, you know what, it's ours. And we lose sight of the fact that no, it's not ours. Everything we have belongs to God. These guys were not only doing that, they were sleeping with women who served outside the entrance of the 10th meeting, which is God's residence. That's how little regard they had for God. They had no regard. And the thing that was sad and the thing that was scary about this is Eli was aware of this. He knew what was happening. He knew what his sons were up to. In verse 22 in the message, it reads, By this time, Eli was very old. He kept getting reports on how his sons were ripping off the people and sleeping with the women who helped outside of the sanctuary. So, you know, you've got this priest and this father who hears these reports. Yo, Eli, you know what your kids are doing? The warning lights and the sirens are blaring. And it's time for Eli to take action. And the Bible says Eli took them to task. Now, for me, I'm thinking... You know, the first time I read this, like, man, he must have put a little hurt on these guys to get their attention. I mean, he took them to task. Well, you know, we can think through some of the things that maybe we would have done if it was our own kids. These were priests. Did they belong in the office they were in? No. They should have been removed. They should have been called to repent. They should have been called to change in the relationship. They've been called back to God. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 23, says, Eli took them to task. What's going on here? Why are you doing these things? I hear story after story of your corrupt and evil carrying on, oh my sons, this is not right. These are terrible reports I'm getting. Stories spreading right and left among God's people. If you sin against another person, there's help. There's God's help. But if you sin against God, who is around to help? but they were far gone in disobedience and they refused to listen to a thing their father said. That's about it. That's all he does. Gives them a good talking to. You know, a lot of you guys read uh, parenting books of one sort or another that have kids. You know, I've seen this in a number of different books. This is called The Threatening Parent. Any of you guys ever read that at all? If you do that again, Junior, I'm telling you. I'm gonna turn this car around or you know, I'm gonna give you, you whatever it may be. I'm warning you, if you don't do something different, but you know, how many times have they heard that warning? I'm sure this wasn't the first time, absolutely no no response. Verse 25 says, but his sons were far gone in disobedience and they refused to listen to a thing their father said. You know, if Eli was gonna do something, wouldn't you think he should have engaged them on a different level by now? God sends a messenger to Eli. In verse 27, it says, why do you treat your sons better than me? Turning them loose to get fat on these offerings and ignoring me. And then in verse 31, God takes it up a notch. He says, be well warned. It's not the first time. It's not the second time. It's not the third time. And it's probably shaping up to be about the last time. Be well warned. It won't be long before I wipe out both your family and your future family. You know, I think really understanding when we don't listen to the warnings of God, sometimes there's long-term consequences that we can be faced with. So God warns Eli, and the thing that's interesting in the Bible, there's no response recorded. He receives the message, and that's it. In the next chapter, another warning comes, and this time it comes through a boy, Samuel, who grew up to be an incredible prophet of God. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 11, he hears God's voice for the first time, and God gives Samuel a message to give to Eli. And what he says in verse 11 is, listen carefully. That's something that needs to resonate with us. When we read the scriptures, when we pray, When we interact with the other spiritual people in our lives, do we listen carefully? Continues, I'm getting ready to do something in Israel that's gonna shake everyone up and get their attention. Verse 13, I'm letting him know that the time is up. You know, again, Eli knew what was going on with his sons. They were desecrating God's name and his place and Eli didn't try to stop them. So I think the thing for us this morning, the question that we've gotta be willing to answer for ourselves is, can we see the warning signs of God? And I think really understanding that, more often than not we can, we do a great job of seeing it in other people, but how's the personal application? And then extrapolating that out a little bit, do we realize that we have blind spots in our lives? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna respond? You know, I'm grateful for again, you hear me say this over and over and over again, this is not an exaggeration, I so appreciate the men and women in my life. I have glaring blind spots in certain areas of my life. Doesn't mean that I can't see a lot of things and there's you know, a lot of things that I can interact on that are helpful, but sometimes with my, within my own marriage, with my own kids, I've got these tremendous blind spots. It's because there's a lack of humility more often than not. I take things too personally in those situations, but I've had men and women that have been, Able not only to point it out, but point me to scriptures, to pray with me, to let me know that they continue to pray for me. They've given me tools to apply, and they follow up to see if I'm applying them. Uh, when I'm doing better spiritually and the is there, I engage on that level. When I'm not, you know, there may be an admonishment or correction or a rebuke in that, bro, you know, I mean, come on, man. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. I mean, do you see the significance or the importance of what we've been trying to help you with here? and really understanding that we've got those kinds of blind spots. But with that and these warnings, getting back to Eli, thinking through some of the things that can be a distraction in our lives. Eli wasn't only a priest for 40 years. I didn't realize this until the last time I went through this, he was also a judge. He was both. He was doing double duty. And these positions were more often than not held by individuals, one person. I don't know how he came to the conclusion that he felt like he had the bandwidth to do both, but Sounds like it was his decision. He was both priest and judge. And you think about that. Think that your hands would be full with just one of those positions, one of those job descriptions. And he was doing both. I mean, to me, that sounds familiar as to what we can be dealing with individually here today, you know, in the workplace. We get overextended. Some of us, you know, we we, we, we totally buy into the American dream and... You know, it's kind of projecting out. And I mean, goals are good, but not from a standpoint of taking those goals to the point where the goals exceed where you're at financially. You know, you build a financial base and then you go after the other things in life. But how many of us have purchased cars on home equity that were over our heads? How many of us have purchased homes that because of maybe a a zero interest rate and knowing that at some point in time, we, we know the warnings here in the contract, that rate's not gonna be there and there may be a ginormous balloon payment that comes due in 15 years. How many of us have done that and then you start panicking and you take on additional jobs, or you work more hours, and then what ends up taking place? You choke out everything else. I mean, if you're single, you can choke out relationships. Those relationships ultimately become the relationship with God that gets choked out. Within our marriages, it's the spouse, it's the kids. And we're willing to sacrifice those things where if we listened to the warning signs, we wouldn't have put ourselves in that position. And I really appreciate, there's a number of you that have divested yourselves of those things because you realize that it wasn't worth the stress, the anxiety, the phone calls, the bill collectors, and what was going on at home. You know, there's others of you that may need to consider that. And that if this is the lifestyle you're living, it's gonna take you down. I mean, you're dealing with the stress and the anxiety now. Listen to the warning signs. Don't be overextended. Don't choke out that relationship with God. You know, we see the flashing lights, but we don't recognize them. You know, we can tell God, you know, God, you know, next month, man, I'm just really busy right now. Hey, God, you know, I've got things I've got to get to. I'll get to you later. You know, uh, next month, God. And then next month turns into next year. And then next year turns into where in heaven's name did the time go? You know, maybe for you, it's similar to Eli's story. You're, you're doing really well with the warning lights at work in some areas, but you're ignoring the warning lights at home. Phone calls or TV during dinner. Taking care of emails at your kid's game. Out on a date, checking your text messages. You know, you make sure all the fires are out at work, but there's smoke in your own home. You need to do something about it. Single, married, teen... We get to that point where there's time for everything but God. There's a problem. It's just like that guy, uh, that small ridge gentleman on the front side. I mean, he was warning people. People that listened lived. The people that didn't died. It's on the to-do list. You know, we say, God, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I'll get to it later. Verse 25. Eventually, this is what happens. Eli's sons were too far gone. By the time Eli gets around to doing something, it's too late. I have a video that I want us to take a look at when it comes to warning lights. Uh, it's kind of humorous, but I think there's really some application for us today.
1: Thank you for driving me to work. You know, this is my day off, Sheldon. Oh, good, I'm not keeping you from anything. <laughs> your check engine light is on. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's an indicator to, you know, check your engine. It's fine, it's been on for like a month. Well, actually, that would be all the more reason to, you know, check your engine. Sheldon, it's fine. If it were fine, the light wouldn't be on. That's why the manufacturer installed that light, to let you know it's not fine. I don't know, maybe the light's broken. Is there a check the check engine light light? (laughs) Thank you for driving me back to my hotel. Gross. Not a problem. I was going to ask Leonard to do it, but he seemed a bit emotionally unstable, and you don't want someone like that operating heavy machinery. No, you do not. Your check engine light is on. Yeah, I got to put a sticker over that. <clears throat> so I'm um, Amy. Sheldon tells me you're a neuro something or other. Neurobiologist, your check engine light is on, (laughs) but the light indicates... Don't bother. I've wasted many an hour tilting at that particular windmill. (laughs) Thanks again for taking me to the pharmacy. Oh, it's no problem. Is everything okay? Oh, I'm fine. It's just some uh, stomach medication for my trip. Uh, There's a remote yet distinct possibility that I may end up in South America. Remember the old days when I would have said something dumb like, why? (laughs) Uh, that doesn't sound good. Remember the old days when I used to point out that your check engine light was on? (laughs) Yes get ready to stroll down memory lane. Penny, you're checking. Yeah, I know, it's on, Sheldon. Oh, no, 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 no. I cannot afford this right now. Maybe it's just something minor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good news, the light just went out. You know, it, it really is humorous, and, uh, (laughs) my favorite is, you know, yeah, I've been meaning to tape over that. But that's how we can be. And it's so important that we slow down and we pay attention. We understand how significant maintaining a proper relationship with God is. Her car, the engine light was on. Why? Proper maintenance wasn't taking place, more than likely. And, you know, isn't that how it is with our relationship with God? I mean, there's a maintenance aspect. We have to, it's like with a friendship. You have to maintain it. I mean, if you don't engage with your friend, you don't spend time with your friend, it's not very long before they're not a friend. And it's the same thing relationally with God, just really thinking that through when it comes to our own personal lives. Have you any guys ever seen the show Hoarders? Let me see if I can, uh, there we go. For those of you that have seen the show, does that look familiar at all? We uh, in Ventura, there was a whole project that we had where there was a woman that was about to be evicted from her house, she had five kids. They had a six, no it was five bedroom, five bath home and literally, it was like this throughout the house with just the junk that was stacked up. Some of it was at my height. You literally had to turn sideways to get through the home. Their patio was completely covered with shelves and boxes She had six storage sheds that were full of junk. And then there was stuff outside of the sheds that had been pretty much destroyed by weather. And it was interesting. We had a dumpster that, you know, we were going through stuff with her and trying to help her with the whole process and eliminating the stuff so that she wouldn't get thrown out of her house and her kids wouldn't end up being taken by uh, Department of Children's Services for the bad conditions that they were living in. And it was interesting. We would take stuff and put it in the trash It was kind of drizzly when we were there, and there was dirt and all kinds of other stuff in it. And we'd see her after she'd already green-lighted us on, putting stuff in there, going right back to the bin and pulling things out. And you know, and I think again, this is just one of those areas when it comes to warning signs, she was on the verge of losing her home. And I know there's all kinds of depth of issues there, but where does it start? You know, what is it that, how do we go there? You know, and they interview these people, and typically the response they get is, I'm not really sure how this happened. I'm not sure how it got like this. Well, how did it get that way? A day at a time, a day at a time, typical response, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to make a difference. What's it going to take? Loss of home? You know, the warning lights, the sirens are going, loss of kids, warning siren. Relationship at work, relationship with a neighbor, relative, friend, wife, kids. How about the warning lights when it comes to what a relationship with God looks like? You know, when God is calling you, he's warning you, and there's something within you that says, you know, we can go there. I'll take care of it tomorrow. We procrastinate. We put it off. But Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't harden your hearts. You know, I think another response that was very, can be common in our lives, but was definitely there with Eli, is denial. You know, we look at the warning, we're aware of the fire, but we just kind of say to ourselves, well, you know, it's not going to be me, it's going to be okay, it's going to work out, it's not that big a deal, I'm sure everything will be fine, it's not that bad. And we overstate where things are at situationally. When Eli finally responds, he acts shocked. I mean, in verse 23, did you catch this, he says, what's going on here, boys? As if he never saw it coming. That's denial. Here's the definition of denial. Denial is the failure to recognize or the refusal to acknowledge the warning of God in your life. You know, the reason we enter into denial is because we don't want to see the warning signs because we know if we see the warning signs, it's going to cause to something that we may not want to do. It may not be the most comfortable situation in the world. We may not even think we can accomplish it. Now, I remember several years ago looking for a used car on eBay and I came across this immaculate 1998 Camry. You know, they wanted like 3,500 bucks for it. It had 19,000 miles on it. And I responded to the seller and I had some questions and the questions didn't get answered. I got a response back saying, hey look, we've had so much interest in this car, send us we'll a thousand bucks and we'll put you in the hopper with everybody else that likes it, and you know, you'll know, you get an opportunity to bid on the car. Seriously? You know, we, we think about the uh, Nigerian scams that go on. And, I mean, this is wild. This goes back to 1997. In 1997, I found a newspaper article that said, we have confirmed losses just in the United States alone of over hundred million billion in the last 15 months. Special Agent James Caldwell, the Secret Service, Financial Crimes Division. And he went on to say, and those are just the ones we know of. We know there's a lot of people that are too embarrassed to even come forward with it. Why do we do this? Why does this happen? Why do all these, I mean, there's, there's a boatload of them when it comes to scams. I mean, look at all these. You know, work at home scams, weight loss claims, lotteries and sweepstakes scams. I mean, there's a ton of them. But ultimately, it falls in the realm of Satan scams. Denial. You know, why do, we, why do we go after these things? Oh my gosh, that sounds so, so good. I mean, it's too good to be true. How many times have you heard that? It almost sounds too good to be true. Well, maybe it is. And we seem to think that, you know, that, that stuff happens to other people, that's not gonna happen to me, I'm not worried about that. But denial is a refusal to acknowledge, a refusal to recognize the warnings of God in your life because you want to keep doing whatever you want to do. Eli shows us another common response in God's warnings here in chapter three, verse 13. It just simply says, "'And Eli did nothing to stop them.'" He did nothing, he knew about it, he had found out about it, he could have engaged on it, he's aware of it, but he doesn't do anything. And this is passivity. You know, this is something that, again, it's human nature, it's one of those things that I think we can really slip into you know, we, we can see this in all kinds of different things throughout history, and even even closer to home to members in our own families. So, you know, if someone's got a history of cancer in their family, isn't it a good idea to be screened for cancer? Yeah. But how many instances, how many times are there where we've heard of people that have that kind of a history, they have that kind of a background, they maybe even thought something was wrong, but they didn't engage on that level. Same thing with individuals who may have financial t- trouble, you know, sometimes they're the least likely to open their bills and sit down and take a look at what's really going on. And, and we, we can get caught up in this mindset, well, you know, doing nothing's really better. I mean, you guys heard about the ostrich syndrome? And th- this is a myth, too, just to clarify that. Ostriches don't stick their head, head, head in the sand to avoid danger when they see danger coming. Now, in this particular situation, there's a nest. So based on where the photographer took the picture, you got the male officers there kind of moving the eggs around to keep them warm. It looks like he's got his head in the sand. But I mean, that's where we can go when it comes to problems, like boop. Okay, there's nothing going on. I don't see anything, up high. Really? And really understanding that we've gotta be careful. Again, our relationship with God, our relationships with others. You know, and he goes on, Eli's response to Samuel, when Samuel brings things to his attention, again, the final warning, Eli's response is, he's the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Let him do whatever he thinks is best. You know what, and that can come off as what? Humble, spiritual. He's just found out his family is gonna experience these incredibly caustic, long-term consequences. And his response is, God is God, let him do what he thinks is best. That's scary. That's scary. He had the opportunity to change the history of not just his own life, his kids' lives, his future kids' lives, grandkids, all the way down the line. But Eli was hiding behind his response. And ultimately, what God was looking for in this situation was change, humility, surrender, acknowledgement through action rather than, well, God is good. He's going to do what he's going to do. And, you know, it is what it is. We can do that. Because it's easier to do that than it is to take action. Right. You know, another clue as to why Eli was so passive comes from chapter 2. Again, verse 29, Eli says, to, or God asks, why do you honor your sons more than me? And I think that tells us a lot about why we can be passive in certain areas in our own lives. You know why? It's because we're honoring something more than God. God says to Eli, I'm warning you about your sons, and Eli does absolutely nothing, and doing nothing, he reveals he honors his sons more than he honors God. God's warning you today. Maybe it's about a dating relationship. You honor your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than you honor God. God warns you about your lust. You hear the warning. You know there are tools and situations and people that can potentially help, but you don't do anything about your lust, and in doing nothing, you honor your porn more than you honor your God. And the list just goes on and on and on. You, can, you know, it could be a matter of you honoring your alcohol more than you honor God. God warns you about work being too much of a focus in your life and that things are out of balance and you hear the warning but you don't do anything about the warning and in doing nothing, you honor your work more than you honor God. It's not passivity, that's an excuse. It's about honoring what you want to honor. You know, we've we got some of you in the mix here that have studied the Bible. And you know, you've gotten to a certain point, usually it's the light and darkness study where we can kind of see the things that separate us from God versus the things that will usher us into the kingdom with a right relationship with God, pure before God, clothed in Christ before God. But you know what? You need to sit here this morning, you need to ask yourself, what is it you're hanging on to? What is it that you wanna honor more than God? And you know what, the bottom line with whatever it is, it'll be gone at some point in time. And what are you left with when that happens? There was a number of reasons that Eli was so passive. You know, another one maybe, sometimes it can be age for us. Verse 22 says, by this time, Eli was very old. You know, and I think Eli probably thought at this point in time, you know, it's too late. Yeah, you know, I've just gotten up there in age, and you know, what am I gonna do now? My kids are kinda out there. And my guess is no matter what age that you may be at, you know there are people that right now they hear what I'm saying and they agree with this it's too late you know seeing the warning signs in your life in fact you've been aware of them for many years but what are you supposed to do now it just seems a little too late you know if I had heard this maybe five years ago if I had heard this 10 years ago if I had heard this 15 years ago well how about the fact that you've had the opportunity here right now you know, we can project out, you know, the house is already burnt to the ground. Well, you know, you might say things like, well, my kids are too old, my marriage is too broken, my debt is too overwhelming, my friend is too angry, my reputation is too shot, my addictions are too powerful, my relationship with Jesus has grown too cold. It's not that I don't agree. It's not that I don't wanna take action, but what am I supposed to do? Things have gone too far. You know, the reason we have this message from God today is to save you from the heartbreak That you will experience tomorrow if we don't heed the warning so what about now what if you don't act now what's it gonna be like later well here's the thing maybe it's too late for you but this is the thing that's so incredible about Jesus Christ it's never too late for him it's never too late for Jesus my favorite thing about God is that he can redeem anything, anyone, whatever color you are, whatever age you are, whatever your background is, Jesus is the redeemer of all This surrender to him. If we're willing to give it up, whatever it is we're honoring, it doesn't matter how bad you think your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter that, you know, you may be playing it out in your head, one of Satan's scams. Man, I mean, You know, I did this, I did this, and I did Jesus can't forgive me of that. Really? This is the Son of God. God created you. We don't think that God can fix us? That's why he sent his Son. He's a healer. He's a redeemer. Romans 10, or excuse me, Romans 8, verse 28, says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called According to his purpose he can redeem it doesn't mean there won't be a little pain doesn't mean there might be a little discomfort Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but Jesus can redeem it. He can redeem you. It's never too late And the whole point of the message today is for response If There's not some kind of a response from each of us here today. We've missed the point So I want to ask you would you respond in some way today Is there a warning that you really need to address? I don't mean tomorrow, I mean today. Is there some person maybe you need to confess to? Is there someone you need to ask accountability from? Is there a family that maybe you need to sit down and patch things up and let them know that, you know what, we just all need to get together and do things differently here going forward. Is there a phone call you need to make? Is there something at home you need to throw away that you keep going back to and staying in this cycle that Jesus says to you, hey, do you wanna get well? Well, here's one of the steps. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Do you need to get real in your mentoring or your discipling relationships? We need to quit making excuses of why we can't and take action because Jesus can. You know, if you've been thinking about making a decision to surrender to Christ, to get baptized into Christ, talk to someone about that right now. There's probably something within you that says, you know what? I appreciate this. See, this is, you know, maybe you don't appreciate it, but whatever. I'll get to it, but it's not right now. Maybe next week. I guarantee you, that's not from God. That's not from Jesus. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Today is the day. So, you know, if you want to talk to someone about your relationship with Christ or you're ready to make this your church family, we'd love to have you. And you can meet with me right down here after the services. We can talk and help you figure out what that's going to look like moving forward. Just want to close it out with a few practicals. Number one, identify the warning from God. And maybe you're not 100% sure there's some stuff going on, but you know, with that, clarify it with somebody else. Get somebody else to weigh in. Get their opinion, get their help, maybe get their prayers, get a few scriptures that can help you make that decision. But once identified, get someone else to weigh in, a friend, a spouse, a child, and really go after what that discipling relationship needs to look like going forward. See, someone close to you knows your character. They can help you with the things you need to change. Number two, put in action now, today. Steps needed to respond to the warning today. Need help, get help. Put together an action plan. Get someone else to weigh in on it and hold you accountable in it. You come up with it. You come up with the convictions that you know that you can adhere to, but realize you may need a little push from time to time. You may need a little encouragement from time to time. And then finally, number three, re-engage in your mentoring relationships, discipleship. If you're not involved with somebody on that level, you will become a statistic. God wants relationships, that's why we're here. God designed us for relationships, that's why you got this incredible dichotomy of people. This is what God wanted, and he wants all of you. But it gets down to the decisions you personally make. Some of you have gotten way too loosey-goosey in your discipling relationships. You know, it's, more, it's, it's good to go out and have a beer with the guys, play pool, do these different things, go camping and all that. But if you're looking at something that's going on that shouldn't be, and that's as deep as it gets, is you know, shooting that pool, going out camping, having that beer, watching a movie, there's a problem. We're called to help one another. Jesus was about helping others, another. And that's what we all have the opportunity to do here. How did Jack and I go from being separated two years into our marriage to coming up on 30 years of marriage? A lot of help. People that were tireless with us, that poured countless hours into us, took us to the scriptures, that prayed with us, that appealed to us, kind of smacked me upside the head from time to time. You know what, as long as I'm alive, it's gonna be an ongoing process because I can be a bonehead from time to time. I I can miss those warnings, but I appreciate having other people in my life that can help direct me in the right way. So I'm able to say in November, I'm celebrating 30 years of marriage to this incredible woman in the front row. Take some time to go back through those two chapters. First Samuel, really ask yourself, what does my response need to be today? You've been warned today, let's respond today. God bless.